Well, a very warm welcome to you. Thank you for joining us. This is A Reason for Hope, and we are with you live for the next hour to receive, and with the Lord's help and the help of his word, answer your questions on the Bible. That's right. If you have questions on God's word, the Bible, maybe a verse or two or a passage of scripture that has uh, brought you some confusion and would like to expand it upon, maybe something you're going through in your, your life, maybe world uh, World events from a biblical perspective. Really, any honest question that you have on your heart, we are here to navigate the word with you today as the Lord helps us. And we're certainly glad that you are joining us today. My name is Dave Robson. I'll be your host and with me in the studio today, Pastor Peter Martin. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. It's mm -hmm. good to see you. Thank you for joining us. And yeah. also Pastor Scott Richards, who's a senior pastor here at at uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing great. Uh, yeah. it, it's been quite a day. Yeah, a little bit of an adrenaline rushy kind of day, but yeah. we're here and it's exciting to answer uh, the, the questions God has in mind. That's right. Yes, that's, we'll, we'll take a breath and, and do just that. Uh, yeah, Pastor Scott is the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. And uh, Reason for Hope is a ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson and has been for, what, 20 years now? We started on 9-11. That's right. It was it was inspired yeah. and prompted by that and yeah. still going strong. So, yeah, it's been, yeah. been 20 it, it's years. It's been exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great that it's it's still going. And thank you, the viewer, for being part of that. Um, so you can find us on uh, Facebook at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Also at our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. Follow the Watch Live tab. You can join us there. We have an app as well on your mobile device or um, on uh, Roku or Apple TV as well. Search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. These are ways that you can join us live and see our faces and also interact on the chat boxes there. On YouTube, we're at A Reason for Hope. That's our channel on YouTube, A Reason for Hope. You can follow Pastor Scott on Twitter at Scott R4H. That's Scott, letter R, number four, Letter H. Did I say that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah we need a big yeah. sign. Yeah. Um, and Pastor Scott posts uh, uh, highlights from the show as well as kind of commentary on world events and and things like that. So you'll snarky little that. remarks from time to time. Snarky little <laughs> remarks. I'll start saying that. He posts snarky little remarks from time to time. <laughs> Rush over to Twitter. A, a, a varying spiritual quality. <laughs> you have been warned. <laughs> yeah. You have to see it for yourself. Don't believe it. Um, also, not to forget, our email address is questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope, all spelled out with letters. <laughs> at gmail.com. How else would you spell it? But with letters. <laughs> Questions for hope at gmail. It is a profound yeah. question. <laughs> <laughs> they were teasing me yesterday because yeah. I said spelled out with letters. And Peter was like, how else would you spell it out? And I was like, well, I was trying to make the distinction. It's not the number four. It's the, the word for spelled with letters. So you guys know what I mean. These yes. guys just pick on me. <laughs> Always bullied. Um, Welcome to the shark. Welcome to the shark. Yes, exactly. Yes, you caught the cockroach that you are and all that stuff. Um, so if, if you're listening to us on the radio, Reach Radio, you are listening to our last show pre-recorded. Uh, but other than that, we are live. So consider joining us on one of those live platforms when you're not on your drive time. And do send us your questions on the chat box or to our email address. And I personally will be fielding those as they come in and throwing them at these gentlemen here. And we will delve into the word and find the answers with you today. That's what we're all about. So with all that being said, Pastor Scott, you're here. Would you like to pray for oh, us? Oh, I'd, I'd, I'd love to pray. And and even before we get to prayer, just a word of exhortation uh, that I can give to you and maybe encouragement. Man, there's so many people out there that are in need of prayer. Mm. Man, I've had I've had quite the afternoon running hither and yon, uh, you know, taking care of uh, a healthcare oriented issue. Uh, Pam and I went by 
uh, Oro Valley Hospital. And there was this, uh, you know, first we found out there was a nine-hour wait uh, to see anybody in the ER. And this poor woman was sitting outside, and she was behind the person who had been waiting for nine hours, just look, look, run ragged. And, uh, you know, my wife, who's such a blessing, just goes, you know, we should really pray for her. And, uh, you know, we went up and said, would you like, you know, you really look pretty disappointed. Would you like someone to pray for you? Mm-hmm. And she goes, yeah, I'd really like that. And, you know, one of the things that uh, the Lord has really been doing in our lives is giving us this uh, priority of praying for people. You know, I mean, sometimes even complete strangers, just as the Lord leads, mm-hmm. and asking them if they'd want prayer. And it's just whenever anybody starts sharing with you, you know, how bummed out they are uh, or how discouraged they are or isn't this world going to H-E double hockey sticks in a handbasket or something like that, uh, you know, I'd really encourage you, uh, try this sometime. Just look at them and say, well, could I pray for you about mm-hmm. that? You seem kind of discouraged. Can I pray for you about that? And you don't have to pray in King James English. And, you know, but if, if you just pray like you're talking to God, like you're talking to the one who knows you better than anyone else, don't uh, say, Dear Lord, and then preach a sermon, but just pray for the person. Pray for God's compassion on them. Pray that they really connect with, with the love of the Lord and that God would reveal himself to them. And it's just amazing how people are so blessed by that and how it does lead to the opportunity to be able to share the gospel with people, especially people that don't know the Lord. They'll say things like, wow, you know, you talk to God like you're, you're his friend or something like that. So, yeah, you can be too. This is how. Uh, and, and it's really a disarming thing, and uh, it, it's really uh, something that, um, you know, Pam and I have really been enjoying the opportunities there, and, and, and you know, who knows? Different people have different callings from God. Uh, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter kind of a thing, mm. but if you've ever been in the camp of saying, I would really like to share my faith, but I just don't know how to do it. I just don't know how to broach the subject, or I feel a little intimidated, mm. Uh, you know, we have never, in all the times we've been praying for people, had anyone snap at us or bite our head off because right. we prayed for them. And it's really something I think that the Spirit of God can use in a very powerful way. So yeah. stop and consider uh, doing that. You know, when you wake up tomorrow morning, just say, Lord, uh, bring someone across my path that I can pray for. And be mm-hmm. sensitive to that because people will put their cards on the table. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are looking for someone to download about how bummed out and yeah. disappointed and discouraged they are. But we have the opportunity to be able to connect them with the Lord who loves them, the Lord that can give them, as the title of our broadcast indicates, a reason for hope. Yeah. And, and boy, hope's in short supply out there. But mm-hmm. what a beautiful thing it is just to see the Spirit of God move in, in these ways. So, yeah. you know, you got to prayer request out there, something on your heart you'd like us to pray for. We've been known to do that on the program here too. So yeah. uh, so let's pray before we go any farther. Sounds good. Father, I thank you so much that when we pray, it's just such an amazing thing to stop and think that you hear us in heaven. Uh, I, I remember uh, being a little kid and uh, one of my parents' friends had a ham radio and turned it on. He was talking to some guy in New Zealand without any wires. And I, I remember how blown away I was. Uh, when he put me on the mic and this guy in New Zealand on a sheep ranch heard my voice and responded to me by name, and that was just playing with a radio. Lord, when we pray, we connect with you in heaven. 
You hang on our every word, and Lord, you respond to our prayers in powerful and life-changing ways. I pray that you might do a, a work within us to realize what a, what a beautiful and, and wonderful blessing simply praying for people can be, and that we would take it outside the friendly confines of the church and even use it to reach out to people in this very dark and disturbing time and let them know that you, the Lord of love and light, care for them personally. Uh, Lord, uh, I pray that you would bless this broadcast. I pray that the questions that we answer or even the prayer requests that come our way uh, would be used by you to change people's lives, not just here, but uh, all around the world as your word goes forth. It's so uh, amazing to me that uh, we have people like Adni and Nigeria that are listening to us live. Uh, but even more, it's mind-blowing to me that you listen and hang on our every word. So please let everything in this broadcast be done in a way that blesses and honors you. We, we want you to uh, look upon what we do here and how we interact and just really smile. Uh, God, thank you. That's your, your desire. We commit this time to you. Guide us into truth through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, we have a question coming already. We can jump right into oh, it if you'd like. Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. I have a couple of leftover questions. Actually, you mentioned Adonai, um, his second part of his question, but we can come back to that as uh, Mike here. Thank you for joining us. Jump right in on uh, YouTube with his question. His question is, if you've backslidden for quite a long time, how do you get back on track? You want to launch? Yeah, yeah, I'll launch yeah, right yeah. in. Uh, very good question. question. So, yeah. uh, when we as Christians, when we talk about being backslidden, it's it's a very important distinction to make because when you're uh, walking with God and you enter into an area of sin or an area of difficulty within your life, and you your relationship with God takes a hit, right? You start pulling away from Him. Maybe you start engaging with uh, old sinful behaviors that you hadn't for a while, and they become worse and worse. That's what we traditionally mean when we say that somebody is backslidden. Uh, the important distinction here is that you are still saved, right? People who are backslidden right. are still in a saved relationship with God. And that's really important to, to qualify first because some people who are in this backslidden state will doubt their salvation. They'll say, wow, you know, I've been engaging with the sin for a little bit. I uh, have neglected my relationship with God. I've pulled away from church. I've pulled away from people that care about me. I don't even know if I'm saved yet. Well, if you're not saved yet, the analogy I usually use with people is if you're not saved, then you're spiritually dead. And if you go into the doctor's office, they won't operate on dead people because doctors can't actually cure you. They can only orient the body in such a way where the body can heal itself. Same thing is with uh, pastoral advice or counseling. I can't actually do anything to spiritually dead people, right? I can, uh, I, I, I can only. <laughs> That's work. a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> I can only work with spiritually alive people. Can you try at least? Yeah. <laughs> I, if you're spiritually dead, we need to get you spiritually alive. We need to get you in contact with Jesus Christ. He is the one that quickens the spirit. He is the one that saves you. He is the one that died for you, rose for you, and is calling out to you. And that's a very important thing to uh, illustrate to people before you enter into any type of counsel. Now, if you're in a backslidden state, remember, it's not that you're dead, it's that you're just out of shape, right? You've, you've, uh, that's, that's what's going on. Something bad. You've sustained an injury, right? A, a spiritual couch potato. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so what we need to do is, like I said, get you into an oriented mindset in which your own living spiritual life with God could be reactivated, right? Where you can come back 
uh, to where you've fallen short. The best advice that I've heard on uh, coming back from back to the state comes from no lesser place than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, in Revelation chapter 2, when he's talking to a church that has, quote-unquote, lost their first love, right, actually gone back from first love, he says, repent and do the first things, right? So mm. usually if you've lost your way, the first thing that you do is you retrace your steps, right? You go back to what you were doing. And so ask yourself the question of, before I backslid, what was I doing? What were the things that I was doing? Were you in the Word? Were you praying? Were you at church? Were you connecting with other believers? How were you fighting your particular sinful behaviors? And whatever sinful behavior you might be entering into, the question is, Is okay, are you ready to start working on this area of your life? Right. Right. Is this something that you recognize as being wrong and you're ready to start working on it? That doesn't mean that you do that in the privacy of your heart because I'm sure that you've tried, right? You've tried to just stop on your own. Uh, it's time that you start utilizing the resources that God has offered you through his body. Get reconnected with the church, start moving, start talking to people about what's going on in your life, ask for prayer, ask for good guidance and counsel. Hey, what are the practical things that I could start doing to help me fight this thing? And like I said, reconnect with God in those very simplistic ways. It's not, uh, the, the beautiful thing about our God is that he is not distant and far away. He is near at hand. If you want to connect with God, he is available for you, and he will meet you right where you're at. You don't have to kind of go through a weird gymnastics thing and go through yeah. a penance process, and then you can connect with God. He will meet you right here and right now, and he will be the one that helps you through these various issues. Because remember, it's his victory over our sin, not our victory for him. Uh, anything like to add or clarify on that? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, probably for me, the the the, the best picture of how to get your act together after a major spiritual face plant mm. uh, is a uh, short story that Jesus told that no less an individual than uh, Leo Tolstoy declared was the greatest short story ever written in the history of mankind. Mm. Which one is it? The story of the prodigal son. Mm. And, uh, you know, the thing that's interesting about that is uh, it, you may be familiar with it. You can certainly explore it in Luke chapter 15. I'd encourage you to read it on your own. But the, the most fascinating thing about it is here is this son that just blows it uh, on, on a nuclear level, mm. right? He takes the inheritance that he was going to receive from his father after he passed away, uh, goes to a far country, blows it all on wine, women, and song, then there's a famine that hits the country. He's out of dough. All of his good time Charlie buddies have abandoned him. Uh, he hires himself out to feed pigs because it's the only job he could get. Could you imagine uh, being a Jewish young man mm. and feeding pigs? I mean, <laughs> the, the whole kosher thing. You know, if you go to Israel, by the way, uh, you're not going to run into a lot of observant Jews. The, the, there are some, obviously, but the vast majority are not. But the one thing they observe and are really hardcore about is you don't uh, uh, have meat and cheese together. They are just, I mean, you do that, that's a party foul. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 they'll deport you over that. They become so angry because it's like the one commandment I think they feel like they can keep, you know, without any really sweat off their brow, you know, just kind of, well, I'll have mine without cheese, I guess. But, uh, but anyway, uh, that's sensitive about dietary issues. You know, could you imagine feeding a pig? Mm. Uh, just, it was the lowest of the low. And he comes mm. to himself, uh, we're told, 
And, and it, he says, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough in despair? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, I love what you said about that, Peter, in that it, it, it's we get into this idea that we've got to have this plot or this plan, yeah. uh, a series of steps we need to make in order to reconnect yeah. with God. Now, obviously, there was a step this guy needed to take. It's like the first law of holes. When you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. Right. <laughs> you know, he, he pretty much figured out that living life his way uh, only got him into the pig pen. So he turns and he comes back. He's got this speech prepared. He, he's got his life plotted out. He's just going to be a hired servant uh, for the rest of his life. No more status as a son. But we're told that when he was a long way off, and I love this, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But before he could even finish his speech about take me back as one of your hired servants, that's where the father cuts him off. He says, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Hmm. Well, wow. You know, you talk about instantaneous restoration. The only thing that we really need to do, if there's something to do, if we're backslidden, is not make a series of decisions about lifestyle changes and promises. And, mm. you know, I'm going to have 10 things I'm going to keep on my fridge with a vegetable magnet and check them off every day and, and so on. And, and, and you know, and, and there are ministries, I think, with good intentions that will try to put these heavy burdens on people, mm. sometimes without lifting a finger to help them bear that, that load. Yeah. But what we really need when it's all said and done, is an understanding of the depth and width and length and height of God's love for us. Mm -hmm. That, that he, the father never stopped loving the son. Now, it's interesting that the father saw him a long way off, mm -hmm. we're told. Why did he see him a long way off? It's because the father every day was waiting for that day mm -hmm. where his son would come home. And apparently, it took quite a while. Yeah. But notice it wasn't like, well, before I restore you here... Yeah. I'm going to restore you, but first, I'm really going to make you feel guilty about everything that you did. Yeah. No, it was just this arms wide open, you know, the, the, the cultural aspects of this are really powerful as well. It was just as if this, this kid had not done what he did. Right. And um, his older brother had a few crosswords to say about that. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, we can find ourselves really in this parable in one of three places. Uh, you're, you're either that prodigal son, like uh, Mike's question here, and you're wondering if the father ever will take you back. This gives you the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah you will. Maybe you're a uh, parent with a prodigal kid, hmm. and you're wondering if they'll ever come back. Well, you're in good company. Hmm. Our Heavenly Father totally understands what you're going through. And, and you know, a, 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 a joy shared is, is twice a joy. A grief shared is half a grief. And when we share that grief, that, that grieving, that concern we have about our children who aren't walking with the Lord, boy, that really lightens the load. We, we can come to God and, and not have to say to him, do you know what I mean? Mm. He knows. Mm. He gets it. And he's far more concerned about that prodigal kid than we could ever be. Man, mm. that's another important thing to, to remember. Or you can be like the older brother 
who's really bummed out that after this spiritual face plant, the father accepts this guy back. Mm-hmm. You know, and the father goes out and encourages the older brother to come into the party mm-hmm. and and says, and he's like, you never, I never disobeyed your commands and you never gave me a young goat that I might be buried with my friends. <laughs> and this son of yours who comes back, that doesn't say my brother, this son of yours <laughs> comes back. And, and you kill the fatted calf for him. You know, and, and I just love uh, what the, the father says at the end. He says, son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he was found. Mm. You know, I, I guess uh, the interesting thing is we never find out if the older brother went into the party or not. Mm. I mean, it's always an open issue. It's kind of like, did Jonah ever see the Ninevites the way God saw them? We're not told. Mm. You know, we just leave Jonah with his wilted little uh, makeshift lean-to plant uh, shield against the sun mm. but we don't know if he ever saw things god's way we don't know if the older brother ever saw things god's way and i think there's a reason for that because it's always an open question mm-hmm. so in any given moment i think uh you know we we can really relate to being one of these people in the mm. story and that's probably why tolstoy was so blown away by all of this because yeah. it's such a powerful insight into the human condition and even our spiritual condition with god yeah you know, are we that prodigal son? Well, you know, again, Mike, if you find yourself in that place, remember, he's waiting on you. He's, yeah. he's got his arms open wide. He doesn't want to hear your well-worked uh, rationale for how you're going to make it up to him or anything else. Yeah. Yeah, it, grace isn't something you got to make up to anybody mm. for. Mm. Uh, you know, granted, you know, I think if you're keeping with repentance, uh, you're, you're going to have some fruit that's going to come out of that. Yeah. But it's a get to, not a got to. Right. Uh, you know, the, the other thing is, are you the, the father in the story? You know, are, are you, you grieved and, and concerned over your kids? You're not grieving alone. But if you're maybe one of those older brothers, now notice the father says, you know, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. Even though this guy was completely graceless, the father still loved him too. You know, I personally have a whole lot uh, easier time loving the prodigal sons than the older brothers. Yeah. You know, I don't like hanging around older brother Christians <laughs> because they're kind of mean and judgmental mm-hmm. and legalistic and you know, look like they've been baptized in lemon juice. But, you know, the Father loves them too. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that's, you know, the, the, the thing that God's trying to work on me quite a bit on. But, but all these things just to say, man, you know, Mike, read through that story of the prodigal son. And, uh, and ask the Lord to show you exactly where you fit in with all of this. Mm. And ask the Lord maybe if you've been kind of sold down the river with some ideas that, well, God might like you, but I'm not sure he really loves you because of this and this and this. Mm. Don't worry about the this and this and this. Be concerned about receiving the love of God and see if that changes your life. Mm. I think that's the best place to leave it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. God is so good. Thank you, Mike, for that great question. I hope many of you were blessed um, by that. A question from Joseph. He says, please help me understand the connection between the Old Testament and even before the Old Testament. Was God okay with certain things or did he just allow it? Um, he says, bar, bar mitzvah and you're an adult in the United States. You can't marry until you're at least 21. What's the deal with culture always changing and which one is God okay with? So basically it's a question of, how much does culture change God's 
what God allows, what he approves of? It's a great question. I think even about, you know, like marijuana, it's legal. The Bible says obey the laws of the land. Well, it's legal now, but does God follow along with the laws of the land? How does that interact with each other? You know, or even in the Old Testament, seeing um, people that we find in the Hall of Fame of Faith committing polygamy. Yeah. yeah. Is God okay with Multiple that? Multiple wives, right. Yeah. yeah, David had a bunch of wives. Was God with Solomon? Yeah. You know, set yeah. the all-time record. I remember <laughs> Chuck Smith saying he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And he said, that, that, that's too much. <laughs> that was a great comment on all of that. But, but what about that? You know, do, do we, we find God's standards elastic then? Did he have a separate deal for Abraham and David and others? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, the, the person that helped me understand this the best, ironically, was Thomas Sowell. Uh, so Thomas Sowell is an economist, a uh, really bright guy, and he wrote a fantastic book called Black Rednecks and White Liberals, which is, I highly recommend. But in it, he talks about the slave trade and the way that the slave trade was ended specifically in the West. And he talks about how uh, a lot of the founders within the United States actually knew that slavery was wrong, but allowed it for a particular end. Now, what they understood, which is kind of interesting, there's arguments for this, is that if you change a culture too rapidly, it actually doesn't have time to convert the intents and the wills of the people who are bound by it. So in other words, if you have large groups of people who don't agree with a moral stricture and you just change the culture around them, they'll resist it and it will end up falling apart. So in other words, what he said is that if the founders were to abolish slavery for the new nation, there wouldn't be a new nation to defend. So in other, because of the way that people saw it in specific parts of the new country, it just wouldn't have worked. And uh, he gives all these economic reasons. It's kind of interesting. So when we look at God speaking to man, I, I love in Psalm ver- chapter 90 where Moses is talking about, it, he says, behold, you know our frame that we are but dust, right? God is very patient with man, to put it mildly. And he understands that these cultural changes take time. And so what he has is he has his uncompromising morality and ethos, right? That is something that is set. That is something that descends from God's being. It's not something that can change or will change. However, then he allows for the people that he's working through and the nations that he's working through to catch up to his morality. So in other words, if God held us all to the morality of the kingdom of heaven, there would be no one who could stand in the Old Testament and there could be no one who could stand today. There's just no way that we can comprehend or keep the perfect law of God. And if we try to hold ourselves to it or our cultures to it, we would end up descending the culture itself into anarchy. So God allows various things within his nation, but he also keeps the morality contained within his scriptures that allows for gradual incremental change. So for instance, as you mentioned, Scott, there were many people in the Old Testament who were polygamous, but by the time you get to Second Temple Judaism, right around the time that Jesus was born, polygamy is not really practiced anymore in Israel. What happened? Well, you have the same nation, you have the same law, and yet just a couple hundred years earlier, people were widely practicing something, and now they're not doing it at all, and they're widely condemning it, and it's completely illegal. How did that happen? Well, once again, that's the incremental change that God allows for. He has his perfect law, his perfect ethic, and then he allows for people to slowly catch up to it. Uh, so whenever people today, we have this really weird problem in our culture today where we think that people who lived before us were just complete morons and evil and wicked in every possible way. Mm-hmm. So we tend to judge them through our moral lens 
ignoring, first of all, that there is grace for these people living at a different time than we were, meaning that you have, uh, C.S. Lewis put it this way, he says, you're sawing at the limb that you yourself are sitting upon. So in other words, he's like, you... It's like a Warner Brothers cartoon. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, your rage against the things that you see your ancestors doing was built for you by your ancestors, right? The reason why you recognize that these things are wrong is because they built cultures and institutions for you that help you recognize that it's wrong. If you were born in the cultures that King David was born in, I guarantee you, you would not have as much moral outrage about polygamy that you do right now. The reason why is because you have the fortune to be born into a culture that condemns it rightfully, but it was built upon over time. And there are many things that I guarantee you that we're blind to, that are, if the Lord tarries, our great-great-grandchildren are going to have some splaining to do about the stuff that you and I thought were totally kosher mm. here today, right? And if you don't think that's true, then you have to acknowledge that you just had the good fortune to be born in the perfect culture, right? <laughs> and I guarantee you, you didn't, yeah. right? There are yeah. things that you and I are blind to that people will work out in the future. And when we get to heaven, we'll be like, ah, oh, gosh, how did we not see that? I mean, think for a second that not a single Christian had any moral qualms with slavery until about, I think, the 1500s, right? That's how did they all miss it, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's because everybody missed it. The whole world missed it. Everybody missed that this was wrong. It took a while for man to reconcile being made in the image and likeness of God with it's not right to own someone made in the image and likeness of God as property, right? That took a while to sink into the human psyche and then to work its way into culture. So God has patience for it, and I think that is a good lesson for us, learning yes. patience for it. Yes, I, I, I think that's an excellent answer. All right. Yeah. Joseph, thank you for that question. Great question. Thank you for the answer as well. Uh, let me see. Joe uh, sent us an email uh, along to questionsforhope at gmail.com, a question there. He asks, um, in March, uh, Biden's executive order has a provision to create a digital central bank. Do you believe a digital currency is coming soon? Well, uh, I would say that uh, if you are coming to this program for financial prognostication, <laughs> I would highly recommend uh, maybe going on Thomas Sowell's website yeah, because yeah, he, would be he was an economist. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the whole idea of, of uh, digital currency, of, uh, of the, uh, the, 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 the whole idea that uh, Elon Musk is big on promoting these, these things. Yeah. And, and uh, essentially, uh, what the theory behind it is, is that just as our currency used to be backed by gold, um, but Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard. And because of that, uh, the Federal Reserve now uh, prints money and tells you to uh, in, in enter in to uh, what we would call a legal fiction. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I'm, by that, I'm not using that in a derogatory term. That's what it is. Right. We all, in essence, pretend that this money is worth what the Federal Reserve says it's worth. And uh, the problem is, uh, when you don't have gold backing currency, it frees, say, the Federal Reserve and the Congress of the United States, which determines budgets and so on, uh, to not be limited in in terms of the kind of expenses that uh, they are willing to incur and pass on to 
the, the taxpayer. People wonder about uh, why we've got 8% inflation right now. Well, one of the reasons was during the pandemic, an awful lot of money got printed. You know, everybody got their checks in the mail. And quite frankly, I don't, I've never run into a single person who said, I am morally opposed to this. <laughs> I am not going to deposit that check in my account, by golly. Everybody deposited their check, right? So, you know, we saw that. We saw the PPP loans that went out for businesses to try to keep them afloat. Uh, a lot of money got printed uh, in order to, uh, to pay these, uh, pay out these promises and so on. And, and the offshoot, the after effect of that is this runaway inflation that we have going right now. And, you know, I think governmental policy that uh, tries to buy votes uh, by promising different people, different things is pouring gasoline on that fire. That is my personal opinion. Uh, the only scriptural principle I think we can point to in all of this is in uh, Romans chapter 12 or, or 13, where it says, Oh, no man anything except the debt of love. Uh, you know, we look at scriptural principles for finance that should control our own decisions financially. And uh, being in debt is never something that the Bible advocates. In fact, in Proverbs, Solomon says that the one who is in debt is a slave, is a slave to uh, their debtor. Uh, and so God doesn't want you to be anybody's slave. He wants you to be free in Christ. He wants you to be able to meet the obligations uh, of your family. First uh, Timothy chapter five and verse eight says the one who doesn't take care of his own family has denied the faith and is worse than a non-believer. I think that's, that's pretty straightforward about a financial bedrock that we need to have in place. Hmm. But it also says that whenever possible, we should avoid debt. Right. Uh, and there are ministries that are out there that can give you some uh, very uh, powerful tools uh, to be able to manage your money and to make sure that you're free then uh, not to be, say, a slave to a bank, uh, you know, a, a slave to some relative who lent you some money uh, and so on, a slave to Mr. Visa, Mr. MasterCard. But our society is structured in such a way that it really pushes you in that direction. Hmm. You know, I, I read an article, uh, it was just a few months ago, that estimated that the average American is well over $10,000 in credit card debt right now. Wow. And uh, people uh, like some of these, uh, you know, Crown Financial Services and uh, ministries and so on will point out that if you get uh, over $12,000 in revolving debt based upon the average rate that they're going to charge you for this every month, um, statistically, you'll never pay it back. Mm. You, you know, part of your working hours are going to be going to work for Mr. MasterCard or Mr. Visa or Mr. American mm. Express. And God certainly doesn't want uh, us to be doing that. Uh, I think uh, the, 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 the goal, and I wish I could say I've arrived on this, but it certainly is a, a goal and a desire that I've placed before God, is that I would be able to be debt-free so that another really uh, wonderful uh, promise in God's word, uh, an instruction uh, that I would love to see true in my life. It certainly is not true now, but it says in verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, ready to share, 
storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. You know, um, you go, wow, Scott, you want to be rich? No, I already am rich. Uh, you know, I live in a society, we live on a higher level of, of wealth and benefits, I saw an analysis, than Queen Elizabeth did in her court. Hmm. We've got it better than she did. Hmm. The average person in the United States. Uh, and so we're already wealthy. God says we need to define what it means by, by wealthy in terms of contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain, hmm. the scripture says. So, you know, when people bring up things like, you know, Elon Musk's latest uh, digital currency or things like that, underneath them all, and I guess this is the roundabout way to getting back to answering this question, underneath all these things, I always kind of smell the odor of a get-rich-quick scheme. Mm. That somebody is saying, oh man, you know, if you bought Apple computers at $3 a share, you could retire right now. Well, who knew about Apple computers when it was $3 a share? Mm. You know, I mean, some people did, I guess, but, you know, we've been taking a flyer on something that, um, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty on these things. Mm -hmm. But uh, but whenever somebody says, you know, oh, yeah, you know, you do this and this and this, you can, you know, can really beat the system. Uh, I, I, I don't mean to, to belabor the point, but when I was in seminary, um, they were, that was really my top ramen mac and cheese days. Uh, I was uh, working uh, one of those uh, full-time hours, half-time pay, youth pastor jobs. Uh, I worked as a DJ at a Christian uh, radio station, uh, and I was also a, uh, a uh, graveyard shift security guard during that time, just to try to make all the ends meet and pay my bills and all this, and going to seminary at the same time. And uh, a friend of mine came in to the office uh, my, my old buddy, Keith Mathias, and he, he said, oh, look at this ad in the LA Times. He said, uh, There's, uh, they're, they're looking for contestants for the revival of the $10,000 pyramid, except now it's going to be the $25,000 pyramid. He goes, you should go down and try out. You're such a ham, you'd be perfect. So I looked at it and go, well, what do I got to lose? So he, I went down to the studio. They give you a vocabulary test. If you pass that, then you sit down with one of the producers of the program and you play a round of this game. And uh, if they like you and they think that you've got some, some potential, then you go on the air. Well, lo and behold, I got selected to be on the first program for the revival of the $25,000 pyramid. And naturally, I was going to be playing against someone who was really, really good at this game as well. And, and, uh, and so my opponent won the first game. I won the second game. And you go to the big money round. Now, Dick Clark, you probably remember him. Uh, was uh, the uh, the host of this program. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like, whoa, you know, Dick Clark, American Bandstand, and, you know, there he is, you know, and you're a little starstruck by the celebrities that you're with and, and all of this. But um, uh, I won't mention the guy's name, uh, but uh, the, the celebrity that I was with, they, the, the producers tell you, uh, let the celebrity give the clues because uh, they tend to be more verbal and they're not going to be nervous like you are because they got nothing online, they're going to get paid anyway. So I thought, well, I'm kind of a verbal guy, but okay, they, they, they know what they're, they're, they're talking about. So the way you, you, you went on this program, if you're not familiar with it, is you had to list things and then guess the category. Mm -hmm. You know, for instance, uh, if I were to say a uh, microphone, uh, a uh, switcher board, uh, a, a laptop computer, uh, you might say, well, things that you would see on a reason for hope. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that would be the category. 
So you got 60 seconds. You got to get six categories. If you do, you get $25,000. And back then, that would have been a lot of dough <laughs> for me. Uh, and, and, and so uh, we start out and we just ripped through the first three of them. I mean, we got through three of these in maybe 20 seconds. And I thought, we're doing great. Then the, 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 the uh, celebrity looks at the board and he looks at me and he goes, Van Gogh. And I went, artists, painters. And he starts shaking his head. He went, <laughs> Van Gogh, like louder was going to help. Uh, and I said, uh, abstract artists, Dutch people, uh, Van, Van, Van Gogh. You know, he's just like freaking out on this. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like uh, crazy people, people with one ear. Uh, you know, I, uh, you know and, and, and he blew 30 seconds on Van Gogh. And we were so flustered after that, we didn't get another one. Well, uh, I walked away. Uh, with $600, which wasn't bad. Hey. <laughs> uh, a uh, lifetime su supply of rice aroni, the San Francisco treat, mm. is my my parting gift. And uh, you know what the category was? The category was men with beards. <laughs> I'm like, Santa Claus, <laughs> Abe Lincoln, the Smith Brothers, ZZ Top. <laughs> so... <laughs> Walking away, going, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. My friend Keith, who put me up to it, pulls me aside and he goes, well, looks like you're going to have to work for a living like the rest of us. <laughs> and I never forgot that lesson. You know, whenever we, uh, we look for a, a, a get-rich-quick thing, you know, whether it's multi-level marketing or all that, you can make money in multi-level marketing, but here's a newsflash. You're going to have to work hard to do it. It ain't going to be easy like the way sometimes it's, portrayed if you're a good salesman you work hard at that uh, you can make money in multi-level marketing but it's not the easy shortcut to riches and, and so whenever i hear people talking about you know uh, uh you know electronic currency and things like this um could this be something that the beast uses in his revelation 13 last days economic system possibly you know but i've seen other candidates for that I remember uh, when interstate banking was first made legal and you could go to any ATM with your, your little debit card and mm -hmm. get money out. Even if you lived in California, you could go to Arizona and use your, everything. Said, it's the mark of the beast. Mm -hmm. Well, no, it's not the mark of the beast. And uh, if someone comes to you uh, with uh, an electronic currency scheme and says, oh, by the way, before you enter in, you have to bow down to this image of the founder of this and swear your eternal allegiance to him. I might be a little bit worried at that point. I'm more worried about the get rich quickie side of that. Anything you'd you'd throw onto that as well? No, that's good. Yeah. So right. just be careful with that. Yeah. Great. Thank Joe. you later. <laughs> yes. Joe, thank you for, for sending that question to our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Very good. Is that why you have the aversion to Van Gogh paintings? See you like you I know, like Van Gogh. I like impressionists. When you, I like impressionists. <laughs> Some guy threw tomato soup or something on yeah. Van Gogh. Oh no! Just to protest against the environment. Yeah, wow. and then mashed potatoes on a manet. Yeah, that's yeah. like and a waste they, of a they, good meal. Then they yeah. glue themselves to the floor. Yeah, and then they were upset because the museum wouldn't bring them like a container for them to relieve themselves in when right. they were glued to the yeah. floor. Yeah. You know, so just that, just maybe, the days. Some, maybe some entitlement issues there. Yeah. Just yeah. I like what someone said about that. They're like, so the people that can't think through their bowel movements are going to tell us about 50 years in the future and global warming. <laughs> 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 yeah. The, the, the sad thing is, yes, they are. Yes, they are. <laughs> and they do. And they do. And they do, <laughs> they do. yes. Question from uh, Albert. Man, this is, this is a 
great time, isn't it? Great show today. Um, are we obligated to vote as Christians? Did did Paul vote? Can a Christian decide not to vote if they don't agree with uh, pro-choice politicians, etc.? Um, are we in sin if we don't vote, or is it okay to choose not to vote at all? That's a good one, and it's actually a good one for me because I've been back and forth on this issue multiple times in mm. my Christian life. Uh, so when I was a teenager, I was absolutely confident that to be a good Christian, you had to vote. When I got out of the military, I was like, our government is so corrupt, votes don't matter. And so I was like, I'm never going to vote again. And then I kind of went back on that, and I'm like, no, I don't think it's that corrupt that votes don't matter at all. And now I'm kind of back in the camp of I vote. Uh, so let me walk you through my my, my uh, circuitous <laughs> logic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Gather around, children. <laughs> and explain to you why I went one way and then the other. So um, essentially, when I was 16, I was highly patriotic and I wanted to serve in the military. And I thought that the best way to be a Christian was to serve essentially the United States because I felt like the United States was an incredibly great country. And I thought that the best way to, again, to be a good Christian was to serve the country that I was in. And I, today, I don't really fully disagree with that, by the way. Uh, but when I went into the military, like I said, I saw some flat-out corruptive th- influences in the federal government, which to those of you guys who are any uh, have lived through the last five years, you're like, no, really? <laughs> wow. like, not our government. That shocks <laughs> not, and stuns me. <laughs> not these set of Boy Scouts that would <laughs> never, that would return a penny to an old widow. You know, like there's no way that this would ever happen. Well, yeah, there, there are some corruptive things that are happening at the high levels of government. That really put me off. And also I saw high levels of incompetence in government. And that really put me off as well, because it's not just that they're corrupt, but they're not even good at their corruption. And they're not even good not at the things. They're yeah. not subtle. And yeah, I'm just yeah. like, I so even from that perspective, I don't know if I should vote for that reason. And then also I went into a realm of saying like, look, Christians, we should just focus on the gospel. We should really focus on the gospel. We should really focus on theology. Politics is corrupt. Our country's kind of uh, really gone into an irreparable place in the world. And so I just, just focus on the gospel, focus on God and that, and you'll be happy. And for a while I did that, but then, you know, over the last couple of years, I've reevaluated this. And what I've recognized is that we are in a very similar period to what, uh, people call the diaspora, right? This would be the dispersion of the people of God. And when you read the books that were written in the dispersion period, like Jeremiah, which is my favorite book, what you recognize is that the constant recommendation for the Jews that are in these areas is seek the good of the land that you dwell. Right. Seek the good of the land that you dwell. And there's a reason why Jews, no matter what country they're in, they rise to the highest levels in that country, man. They are they are all over. It is because they have been given this advice from God. If you're in this d- dispersed country, seek the good of the country that you're in, right? Mm-hmm. Seek its benefits, seek its betterment, and do whatever you can at the highest levels. And so Jews have just been inundated with this message for thousands of years, man. And they've gotten very good at doing well for the countries that they dwell within. And that is why uh, not only have they benefited their own people, but they've benefited every country that they've been in, in, in really massive and incredible ways. And, uh, that's why people get this theory that Jews are in this secret cabal and they're running everything. No, no, no. They're just really competent. <laughs> they're yeah. just really good at what they did. Yeah. There's no secret cabal. They're just at the top because they're really good at what they're doing. Uh, anything you want to add to that before I move forward? Well, uh, you know, I think the other thing is, uh, and it and it ends up uh, sort of backfiring in a sense, the old mm. no good deed goes unpunished thing, Yeah, is that, uh, you know, there's an old Russian proverb that the nail that sticks up is the one that gets hammered down. Mm. Uh, you know, you can either um, try to beat them 
or join them. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes if you can't join them, you're inclined to want to beat them yeah. uh, physically. Uh, and, and I think, uh, you know, there is a spiritual element to it uh, because, again, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, uh, we are told very specifically uh, what would happen to the Jewish people if they willingly entered into this covenant with God hmm. and, and turned their backs on it, that uh, there would be that dispersion that would happen. Uh, and that uh, wherever they went, um, sooner or later, the people would turn on them. Right. Now, the only reason that I think uh, you can answer the charge of anti-Semitism in, in our day is from a biblical worldview. Yeah. Uh, the reason that I am not an anti-Semite, and I come from a long, long, illustrious list of Germans, uh, so if there's anything genetic about it, I would probably end up in that, that camp. But the reason that I'm not is because, first of all, we are told that the sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are favored by God, hmm. that they are his people. He didn't choose them because they were more numerous, because they were mightier, but he chose them so that God could demonstrate his glory in and through them. Hmm. Now, that to me is reason enough to love the Jewish people and be pro-Israel. But wait, there's more. Uh, as a believer in Jesus... I have to understand that Jesus was as thoroughly Jewish as any individual could ever claim to be, probably more so than a lot of Jewish people in our day and age because Jesus had a perfect genealogy to back up his claim. Uh, he was a son of David. Uh, in fact, uh, the reason he lived in Nazareth, of all places, the word Nazareth drew its name from the word Nazar, which meant the branch. It was a tiny city that, uh, descendants of King David came back and colonized away from Jerusalem so that they wouldn't have the, the, the disappointment of the people, the pressure on the people to be the next Davidic king or anything like that. It was almost like a hideout, mm. if you will. But uh, Jesus had that, that credential. And so since Jesus loves the Jewish people, since in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul said, man, if it was possible for me to forfeit my salvation so they'd be saved, I'd do it. Hmm. I, you know, I need to have a very similar attitude towards them. And when you read Romans chapter 11, and I, I did my master's thesis on all this, uh, when you understand that we're, uh, as Gentiles, we are kind of this weird horticultural experiment that God did. <laughs> he took the rich root of a cultivated olive tree, mm. broke off the good branches and grafted in wild ones. Yeah. He said, that's yeah. who we are as the Gentiles. Yeah. You know, when I see especially people who profess to be Bible-believing Christians uh, going full anti-Semite, Pam and I were watching a documentary and some of the things that uh, uh, General Patton said about the Jewish people, especially after World War II, he was put in charge of their relocation camps. Mm. Some of the things that he said about them just curled my hair, mm. just how anti-Semitic and how much hatred that he had yeah. for the Jewish people. Mm. Um, people that do that sort of thing, they need to remember something. In Genesis 12, 3, God made a pretty powerful promise to Abraham. Mm. I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. Mm. I don't want to anything to do with being on God's curse list, yeah. <laughs> quite frankly. And, you know, and so, uh, you know, you, you know, you mentioned the anti-Semitism and, you know, the rise of the Jewish people in these, these uh, cultures, like you said, yeah. trained to do it, uh, 
pretty good genetic roots going all the way back to Abraham. Abraham was a pretty successful guy. Oh yeah, very savvy, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um yeah, uh I I would I would agree with your point. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh you know, looking at these dynamics and it's funny I'm doing research on this right now of the kind of progression that Christianity rose up to in the Middle Ages and then the regression that happened subsequently. So, uh there was a progression of Christian thought in which Christians didn't know very well how to relate to the world around them. And there was a pervasive branch of asceticism that latched on very quickly to early Christendom. Like monks. And, That's right. And, yeah. So asceticism essentially just means it's a denial of the flesh. So it means to be disciplined. It comes from uh, the Greek word askeo. But uh, to have an ascetic practice, what it means is there are spiritual realities out there that are so far and high beyond our human thought and our experiences in the creation. And so we need to disentangle ourselves from the flesh and pleasure, and that's how we're going to experience God. And uh, there's only one religion, by the way, on the planet that doesn't have any ascetic branches. You know what it is? Judaism, right? And there's a reason for that. It's because you can't start with a creation story in which God creates ex nihilo from nothing, the heavens and the earth, you can't start from this existence of a God who plants man in, in the garden and tells him to garden, right? His paradise is literally to garden in the paradise that God has created for him. You can't begin that way and then get to, well, therefore, we should get away from the creation, right? That only comes from Platonic thought, in which Plato thought that evil deities created the world yeah. and, and it's been corrupted and therefore we should get away from it and that kind of a thing. And unfortunately, it plagued Christianity for many years. So Christians were involved in politics, they weren't involved in sciences, and they weren't involved in the arts. They got completely disconnected from these things in wide array. Hence the Dark Ages. Hence the Dark Ages. Yeah. And what brought us out of the Dark Ages was the medieval theologians who started playing with the idea of, oh, wait, what if God, what if these crazy Jews are right? What if God, who is invisible, has made himself known through his expressive works of creation? And if we want to know him, it's not going to happen through sitting in monasteries and smacking ourselves in the head with tablets or sitting on the top of mountains and staring at daisies. Maybe it's going to happen by getting invested in the world that he's provided for us. And you have this massive explosion where Christians are getting involved in politics and Christians are getting involved in the science, created the sciences from scratch. The arts. Yeah. The arts, yeah. right? The Renaissance period is a result of all this, right? And all these things happen because Christians recognized, I discover God through his creative works. One of the things that happened is that the world, these institutions that were raised up by Christians were turned antagonistic towards Christendom, and people said, well, we have the scientific method now. We have no reason for faith. You Christians have no place here, right? Your religious faith-based ideas, they're fine, but just keep them to church. Right. Don't bring them in the polling booth. Don't bring them in the science labs. Don't bring them in the arts. Right. And Christians were like, Okay, <laughs> they kind of listen to them. They're yeah, like, "Yeah, let's go back." Yeah, let's <laughs> go back. And they just focused on theology again, and it's really, really devastating that that happened. And and you got to remember the founding fathers that crafted the political theory that undergirds our nation. You can't go through two sentences of their thought without them extolling the virtues of godliness. John Adams, who's one of our founders, he says, "Our Constitution does not work except for religious and intelligent people." Right? He literally said that. He's like, "Is this not going to work?" And I was uh, actually. Speaking of Judaism, I was talking to a Jewish guy yesterday, and he was arguing that faith has no, nothing to say for the pro-life versus pro-choice debate. And I said, well, where do you get the idea that all human life is inherently valuable? Why should we even debate that? You know, Peter Singer, who is an yeah. atheist philosopher, he says that we have a moral obligation to murder infants who have Down syndrome. Why is he wrong? 
What's wrong with his theory? What's wrong? Unless you believe that human beings have inherent value by being made in the image and likeness of God, can you argue without any just tabula rasa from a clean slate that we just shouldn't do it because you feel like it's wrong? Well, no. Our faith informs all these things. So politically, to seek the good of the land that you dwell, what it means is to involve yourself in these things. A mistake that you can make, you go too far and see politics as your savior. God is our savior. He will ultimately right this world gone wrong. But while we wait for him, we seek the good of the land that we dwell in. And that happens sometimes through politics, but it also happens through evangelism, right? Don't neglect one for the other. Yeah. It's a both-and scenario. Yeah, and, and the only the, the thing that I would add to that is, uh, you know, when uh, we look at the, the Esther principle, God has raised you up for such a time as this. You know, no accident that we live in a Republican form of government where we are allowed to vote. Uh, God desires for us to be good stewards of that ability because there's going to be people on the other side they're going to use their vote to vote for all kinds of god denying horrific things mm. uh so uh one day i think god will say i placed you in this culture i gave you the opportunity to be able to express yourself and have your voice be heard what did you do with that blessing mm. so vote yeah. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, yeah. pro-israel pro-life and the rest of it you can make up yourself <laughs> albert thank you for that question you got peter rattled up i always wait to see what question's going to get him all yeah, animated. Yeah. One will always get me every bro. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> yeah, so you, so you won the gift card this time in the mail to you. Yeah. Thank you so Rice much. Rice-a-roni. And a signed Van Gogh. Yeah. Signed yeah. with tomato soup or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Same time, same place. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.